I got a billion dollar mindset, steady as a flow, navigating all my time spent, letting us know. Billion dollar, billion dollar. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Internet's number one success podcast, Into the Mind, where we break down and analyze the characteristics, strategies, and stories of successful entrepreneurs, investors, and high achievers so that together we can learn from their mistakes, be inspired by their victories, and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, former parkour athlete turned real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I am on a mission to help 7.8 billion people improve their personal professional and financial lives by empowering their mindset and connecting them to the right people. So today my guest is somebody who embodies the philosophy of walk to the beat of your own drum. As Mm -hmm. a professional engineer, he earned a great salary, was able to afford the luxuries of life, raising a family, buying a home, going on the vacations. However, he couldn't afford that deep satisfaction that only comes after chasing your vision. So upon deep contemplation, he got a co-sign from his wife and he decided to change life paths in search of a deeper understanding of himself. During this journey, he's been documenting and sharing the messy middle that most people try to hide. And today we're going to be talking about exactly where he's at, his origin story, and the lessons he's learned along the way. So please help me in welcoming my guest and my dear friend, Creighton. Wow, bro, dude, I... I, I need that bio, like give me that bio about myself. That was amazing. So anyone that's listening, let's help Marlon get to seven. How many people are there in the world? 7.8 7. 7. billion, bro. 7.8 billion and climbing. So I think you're going to have to get it up to at least eight. Let's go, brother. That's amazing. With an intro like that, you're on your way. You just need to make one of those for every person in the planet. And you're <laughs> I got you. That's, that's my, <laughs> my shortcut right there. So Creighton, bro, like you are low-key, one of my, not even low-key, high-key, you're one of my favorite people to talk to because oh, every nice. time I, just so people that are listening and they can have a sense of, you know, our relationship, every time I speak with you, you're somebody that gets me to be refocused and recentered on my own personal vision. And that. you do so because you're somebody that when you give me advice, it's advice that you're taking yourself. So I want to jump into your history because you have a pretty interesting history, right? Okay. You were a career engineer, which is a traditional, you know, very analytical type job space. However, you're a very creative person. Mm. And before you and I met from entrepreneurship, you, we met through real estate investing. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go from, you know, when Creighton was a younger man and he was okay. starting to establish, you know, his life and establish his career. Can you take me back there as to what was going on with you and like, what was your thought process? Yeah. Uh, when you mean when I was establishing my career, what do you want to know? Well, like what? Go ahead. Right. In particular, there was a moment in your life where you had left home okay. right? and you were, if I recall correctly, living out of your car for a little bit as you yeah. That, I, that is funny. Yeah, I did do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I can walk you through. So uh, growing up, um, my dad was a chiropractor, but more of like a general practitioner for our whole county. Like it was literally like, like what you see in movies that like he home birthed probably like half the population of the county that I uh, grew up in. 
like he did cast, he did everything that, you know, traditional general practitioner doctor does because in Oregon chiropractors are allowed to like actually use the full scope of what they go to school for. So I grew up with that and my mom was an RN and she worked with them. So they were kind of entrepreneurs and big into um, healing with the body, like letting the body do its thing. And so I always grew up wanting to do something similar. Like I wanted to try to help people. And actually, <laughs> well, first, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a priest because we we're Catholic. And I was like, man, this is so crazy. What better way to give back than to get everyone to buy into this religion thing and get them to feel, you know, this magic woo woo stuff. And then I think it was like 15 and was an altar server and realized, oh, if I do go that route, then I can't have a family and family. Obviously, I'm from a family of seven kids. So family's always been like one of my top values, top priority. So uh, no longer priest was an option. And then I was going to go into medical, similar to my dad, but uh, he was telling me about all the insurance and all that. So I was like, no, that's not for me. So we, I came up with the idea of, okay, I wanted to help people. And I actually went to Oregon State for mechanical engineering because my plan was to get uh, to go do prosthetics. So like prosthetic engineering, I wanted to help people with artificial limbs and stuff. So then I went to Oregon State, got my mechanical engineering degree, and uh, it was on the west coast of Oregon, and their weather is not ideal. Like it's a lot of rain, it's a lot of stuff that I didn't love. So I was like, okay, I want sun, like not Arizona sun, no offense, Marlon, <laughs> but I wanted like some decent sun. So I knew obviously LA was nice and I looked and there was a uh, master's program for prosthetics um, in LA. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to move to LA. And I packed up my Honda Civic and drove from Corvallis, Oregon, all the way down to LA. And th this is so crazy that this actually defined my future is I put in the address for the school and I drove all the way down to LA. I didn't have a place to stay or anything like that. And I had the address and it took me to this warehouse, like random place down in Long Beach. And I drove in and I was like, I drove all around. I was like, this is not a school or anything. And I think I drove a little bit further and found a free Wi-Fi parking or Wi-Fi connection. I had my computer out because this is back in the day. This is the era of phones having what it does now. And I opened up my laptop and was like kind of it had in my passenger seat and was just driving slowly till I saw an open Wi-Fi. And I pulled into this motel and I typed in the school and I was like, oh, my God, I'm like over an hour away from the school. I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'm here. It's good enough. Um, I was close enough. So I was like, I'm going to start to uh, find a way to get into, find that school and all that. So I was in uh, like Hermosa Beach area at the time. And then I started to find, uh, I was like, I need a job, whether or not I go to the school or not. Um, I was like, I, I, I guess I just kind of kicked into survival mode. Okay, I'm here. I got to find a way to survive, to live. So I would, in the day, I would uh, go uh, put on my my suit, my JCPenney suit that I bought when I graduated. And I go to job interviews during the day for engineering. And then in the um, afternoon, 
I would then go uh, back to, it was like Best Buy. I go to Best Buy, I get on their internet, look for more jobs, look for places to live. And then at night or in the, probably like the evening, I'd go sleep on the beach. And then at night I'd actually sleep in my car. I'd go park at a hotel. And here's a hack for anyone out there uh, trying to be resourceful is I actually found hotels that had free continental breakfast. And so I'd go to those and I'd park in their parking lot and sleep in through the night. And then in the morning I'd put on my suit and then I'd walk into the lobby like I belonged there and I just go get continental breakfast. And then I rinsed and repeated. I think it took me about three weeks of that before I got my first job um, as an engineer. Uh, and then I think after I got the first job, then I stayed at a hotel for like five days um, because I was tired of sleeping out of my car. But I backpacked through your, I think I've been to like over 17 countries. So I love traveling and experiencing stuff. So that wasn't a big deal. Uh, but I was ready to have a nice bed instead of trying to sleep in a Honda Civic that was full of stuff. Uh, and then I found a, a, a house maybe like a couple weeks later. But what I was going to say is like that, because I didn't get to the college or that I was planning on, like I actually forgot all about that. I wanted to go get my, my master's in prosthetics or my master's. Yeah. And uh, prosthetic as a practitioner. But what I did do is I found a job working for a thermo composite company, um, and then after doing that for a little while, I drove on my way to that job. I saw there's this little prosthetic company that made prosthetics. So I actually stopped in there. I asked them if they could give me a job, told them about my story and that I really want to get in prosthetics. And there was two Russian guys. Uh, shout out to TyMed. I don't know if the company is even around, but it's two Russian guys. And I had to pitch them. They're like, well, we don't have funds to, for an engineer. And I was like, well, I'll do anything. Like I, I can work at the front desk or whatever. I was hungry. And they're like, well, we would feel bad paying you $9 an hour with your engineering degree. And I was like, I'll take it. So they gave me the job. So uh, that job was probably one of my actually favorite engineering jobs I had in like over 13 years was I got to design the prosthetics. I got to machine them, take it to a machine shop, have them actually make it. And then I got to deliver it to the practitioners and watch them put the prosthetics on these little kids. And like, I was like, dang, this is nuts. So that was crazy emotional. And I'd be crying all the time with these little kids watching them walk. Uh, but I didn't stay in that because obviously I was making $9 an hour. My rent in LA at the time was like a thousand. So to make ends meet when I was working there, um, I was also uh, got a serving job because that's what I did all throughout college was I was a waiter and server. Um, so I was trying to make ends meet and I did that for maybe about 10 months. And then I just couldn't survive off of that. And that's when I was applying for other jobs. And then I got into aerospace, which I never really wanted to do, but I just want, I need money. It was more of a circumstance. And um, so then I got into aerospace and I think my first job as aerospace was, uh, $45 an hour, which was crazy for me. Cause I was going from $9 an hour to making like close to a hundred thousand. So, uh, as soon as I got in, I was in on the Kool-Aid, like, oh, money's amazing. And I did that for 
about 13 years. So sorry, back to you. <laughs> no, bro, I, I absolutely love that because what's really interesting about that is the journey. So there's two things that like I want to highlight. You know, the first thing was you you said that when you had actually gone out there, right? You didn't actually find the school upon getting there and that changed things, right? Because you ended up in a different location. You ended up having to adjust on the fly in essence and a survival mode, a certain survival mode kicked on, a certain gear kicked on that really couldn't have turned on, like doesn't turn on, I should say, until you're fully committed, until you're fully out there. And I want to highlight that because oftentimes people think they they have to like turn this thing on first and then go jump off the cliff. Okay. Right? But it's like the it's the idea that the parachute doesn't open until after you jump. Right. Like you don't get to test the parachute while you're staying mm. safely on the ground. So here it is, you actually took the leap and then something in you turned on that said, you know what, Creighton, you're gonna figure it out, figure it out right now and figure it out where you're at currently. Don't run back home. Oh, I, th- that was, yeah, that, that's never an option. But it, it, but I agree that it is an option. I think I talked to my friends about parenting is similar. Like, they'll be like, oh, well, I don't have a choice to leave my kids. It's like, yeah, you actually do. Because you could, you could be that person. So yep. thanks for pointing that out. But in my mind, that was one of those, like, I'm never going to go back to, you know, my hometown, at least right now. Now I would actually love to go back because it's so calm, peaceful. But at the time, I just wanted experience and to, to live life. And yeah, I, I have no regrets. And I think what was really cool too is um, I kind of skipped out some of the engineering jobs, but I think I was working for like three months at my first thermal composite place. Um, and that's when the prosthetics started to come back in. And that's when I was like, oh, okay. Um, was looking, I found out where the school was, what the requirements were to get in. I knew I needed to go get my, the GRE. Um, all, mm-hmm. right, I think that's what it's called. Is that the, the test to that's get into masters? Yep. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I got to go take, and I'm terrible at test taking for all those engineers out there. Like, oh my gosh, like you don't have to be amazing to get through it. It's, it's like Marlon saying, like, you just have to commit. This is what I'm going to do. And that's how it's funny because that's how I got through engineering school. Cause I went to the high school I grew up. I mean, I don't know what you want to talk about, but I can talk all day, <laughs> but the high school I went to, we only went to school Monday through Thursday because it was an agricultural area. So you Fridays was essentially, I think way back in the day, they said, okay, Fridays are for family and working on the farm. So we only went to school Monday through Thursday. And um, I was able to go through that. And I, I was prom king. I got a 398 GPA. Everyone said I was smart. I was, I was all these things. And I think that was the biggest detriment to me because then once I went to college, I was a nobody. So I think that was so hard. So anyone out there, like, be careful if you are identifying with these labels that people are giving you because once they're not there like who are you do you actually believe it do you have something to stand on because that was so hard for me of being all these things in high school and so important and cool and then going to college and I wasn't that smart like everyone told me like I was talented and gifted and I got a 398 GPA and then I went to college and it was hard and I wasn't <clears throat> I wasn't smart compared to all these other people. I wasn't popular. Like I had to identify like who the F is this guy? 
because I didn't really know on, on deep down. So I just was using what other people were telling me as a gauge of what I was. So when I went to college, that was actually probably one of the hardest times. And probably when I started to really feel like depression and like bad yeah. feelings. So anyway. I love that. No, I love that we went there. And actually, I want you to hold on to that thought because we're going to revisit that. Um, you know, and thanks. Second, yeah, I love reliving yeah, you know, past work. traumas and depression. So thanks. Yeah. We're going to dive right back into that page. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, it, it has the power to help. And you know that already. So check this out, right? What you said earlier as well was you never quite wanted to step into the aerospace engineering. However, when you saw the opportunity to make a lot of money or a mm -hmm. lot more money than you currently were making, yeah. that appealed to you. And you actually, it appealed to you so much so that you found yourself in that doing that, um, you know, kind of show for 13 years, right? Yeah. Let me ask, after the initial appeal, and I'm, I'm just going to make an assumption here that it wore off, that the, you know, that the appeal of how much money you were earning there wore off. How long did it take for it to wear off? And how long did it take for you to actually do something about it? I love this. So I'm so glad you asked that. I was actually hoping. Um, <laughs> so here's the crazy thing. And I think this is just human nature is we want something. And I think that's when people get really depressed and when you really get into these deep downward spirals is when we don't have something in front of us. So for me, getting into engineering, it was like, okay, for the money, the money was great. I was making like a hundred thousand. I think actually, so I was 24, I was 24 and I was making like 140,000 a year, which was, I mean, this is back in 2012. So like that was a good amount of money. So we would actually, there's like four of us that were like 24 year old uh, college kids that were making this amount of money. And then we would go to Hollywood in LA and get bottle service of like thousands of dollars. And like, we didn't even care. We're just like, eh, yeah, we would take turns like paying like, oh yeah, that's cool. Like it wasn't a big deal. So I got to, to live that sort of lifestyle of having the money. And then it started to get dull. So what happens me i'm so competitive because of my child upbringing and my own well, i mean well, i don't know what issues you want to talk about but i got tons of issues so my issue was i'm never good enough and i had to compete with everyone so here i was i had money which was cool because that made me equal to the people i work with and then it was like well whose job is harder who's getting more respect when you talk to other people what profession inside of engineering are like oh that person's smart I'd be like so I started to watch like, oh, okay, I was in uh, manufacturing engineering. And then I found out that the lies in engineers, they're like a step above us. And I was like, that's it. So then I put my sights on that. And then I got to Lysen and I got more money. And then when I was in Lysen engineering, I was like, okay, I heard people talk, oh, the stress guys are really smart. If you can do stress analysis, like they're the smartest. And I go, that's me. So I became a stress animal. So like every like two years or so, I would find a new thing to like keep me, I would say a hundred percent distracted because I didn't know how to go internal. So I was just going external and pulling from everyone else. Like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think is good? Yeah, that I'm going to do that then. And it wasn't until, so then I got into stress and then I was in structural analysis. I actually worked on, uh, we call them airplane on ground. So if after Boeing sells an airplane to like um, Alaska or Ryanair, or some of these other 
companies. If the airplane, when they're flying it, gets any damage, like while it's flying, like we get a lot of bird strikes, lightning strikes, uh, the service carts run into the airplanes a lot. So they'll send the damage to us and say, hey, we have this damage. Can we fly the plane as is? And so I'd have to do an analysis to see, oh, yeah, the plane's acceptable to fly or no, you can't fly because all the planes are scheduled to fly again and again, and again, like back to back. Like I forgot, I used to know the number, but it's like, I, I don't know if it's like hundreds of thousands or if it's actually a million that an airplane costs every minute it's sitting on the tarmac and not actually flying. So whenever we were looking at these uh, issues, we had to, one, it had to be safe for the public, but two, we had to do it as fast as possible because the airplane's losing money every time it's sitting there. So I did that, I think, for about four years. I was doing um, the airplane on ground stuff, doing these high stress analysis to get these airplanes back in the air. And then I got into tooling, like where they assemble the airplane. Um, and I just kept finding something else. But it was it took me about maybe 10 years where I started um, – Wow, actually, I want to say I know it was about eight years ago that I was making like 150,000. Uh, my wife's amazing. Shout out Fernanda, crazy beautiful. She teaches me stuff that oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry just think about it. Um, but it was like about seven or eight years ago that I had everything. I had this job. I think at that time I was only working uh, like four days a week, um, 12, 12 hours every day, and I think I was making like 150,000. And I think we had our daughter. I think we had Kyla at the time. Yeah, because she's eight. And I had what seemed like on the outside everything, but like I felt nothing on the inside. And so that's when that's how I got into like psychology, because I was like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Like, let me understand this brain and how emotions and feelings and what the hell those even were. So I went on this whole rampage of trying to figure out psychology, what a thought is, what a feeling is, how to feel happy. And that's kind of how I got into all my coaching stuff. Um, but we can go down that route. But it was so that's when something started to crack the glass. But it wasn't until 12 years of doing engineering that I realized this isn't for me. This isn't the life I want to live. And it was, I think it was talking to one of my buddies that he was talking about his job and I was like, man, what if you only had one year to live? And I started to get pissed off at him. But essentially, I mean, when we're talking to other people, we're just talking to ourselves. So I was getting pissed off at him of like, man, it's so inconsiderate of you that you think that you have one year that you're guaranteed to be here on this earth and that you're going to wait a year to be happy and find something that you actually enjoy. Like, what if, you know, you had all the money in the world? What is it that you would want to do today? And I was like, I got to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, isn't it funny how sometimes like we'll do that? We'll actually give somebody else advice. And then really, like you said, we're actually talking to ourselves. When are you not? I, that would be my question to you is like anytime I'm talking to even coaching or anything, like it's always uh, me essentially like talking to little Creighton or like me from a certain period of time. Like I feel like almost always it's me either talking to myself or reminding myself. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I would say that's what gives you the power to be so influential. Like that's why when you speak to me, you have the ability to help me make change 
because you actually do take your own advice, right? You actually embody it. When you tell someone to do something, you yourself are listening to yourself and basically stress testing of, hey, am I even listening to my own advice? Am I taking the medicine? If I'm suffering from the same illness, am I taking the medicine? Yeah. And that's, uh, it was funny. I forgot who I was talking to, but so I think at the beginning of this year, maybe like February, I started to do what I, in my coaching stuff, I'd call them level ups. So every month I want to redefine how I see myself, how I label myself or um, what my perception of things were. So I think my first month was like, I told myself, I don't like to read. So I was like, okay. I, and I understood the importance of reading because I would do audible and I would, man, I was good at audible. This is this is me on anything. Like I want to be the best. I got to be better. So I was like, I want to get to like two and a half speed on audible. So I was just crushing through books. It was so useless. I mean, it was okay, but like then, but I had this whole idea. Okay. I want to get, be good at reading because I feel like I could retain so much more. So I was like, okay, 10 minutes a day. And so that was my level up for, I think February. And then, and it was hard. And then I think the next month I was like, I'm going to, I don't do cardio. I hate cardio, even though I love going to the gym. And I love playing soccer and doing like physical uh, sports, but like just running. No, that's not for me, but I knew I needed to do some more cardiovascular stuff. So I'm like, I'm going to start doing 10 minutes of running every day. So I did that for a month. Um, another one, I gave up caffeine for, uh, I actually still haven't uh, been drinking caffeine, but that I think that was last month. So I try every single month to do what I call a level up, change my perception of how I view myself or do something hard because I want to continuously do hard things so that I can relate with my clients or anyone. I mean, it not even with my client, but just humanity. Like yeah. I want to be able to relate with people suffering and feel what they're feeling and be like, I understand like it's not easy to do this stuff. And I don't think it's supposed to be. And I think that getting that choice on a daily basis is when you get to effing live your life. Because without that, you're just checked out and you're just on autopilot. That I think the choice is really where we find life. So I would agree with you wholeheartedly. And so this is where I want to actually dive in now and highlight the process of when you had to make that choice. When you're sitting and you're talking to your friend and you're asking them, dude, you got to. Oh, okay. And, so yeah, I'll yeah. tell you. I go ahead. Yeah, no, well, I mean that's why I, I want to jump into that. Like you're, you're telling yeah. me you got a year to, year to live. What are you going to do? And you had the realization of like, oh, shoot. Crazy. So I think I knew it at the time. But I'll tell you the day that I actually quit my engineering job. I think that I had the the conversation with my buddy like a couple months bef- before. Oh. You're right. You're okay. Uh, I think I had the the thought and obviously it had been lingering in my head when I went through my seven years of trying to understand emotions, feelings, all this, that I started to identify what are my values? What do I do on a daily basis that actually makes me happy? And none of it had to do with engineering. Um, and then, oh, you're getting some feedback. Oops. All right. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, I was obviously getting some indicators throughout those like last seven or eight years of these things that were, uh, me trying to figure out myself, but the moment that I realized that I had to quit my engineering job, I was at, uh, I was down in Arizona at, uh, Sedona, Sedona Mago shout out. Anyone wants to go to an amazing meditation retreat, go out there. Uh, so I went down to Sedona and we're doing, 
uh, it was like a four day meditation retreat thing. And it was on the last day, I think that we're like, we're playing with energy, sending energy out to people. And I was like, I remember sending energy to my brother and out to my sister. And then all of a sudden, I remember seeing my, my daughter run to me and like, tell me that she loved me. And like, I was, I was just crying. Uh, and, um, so I was crying because of all the feelings I was feeling of all this love. And I was like, oh my God, I want to find a way for everyone to feel the same way that I feel from my children. And I thought that it was unfair for me not to try to help people out. And so after we got out of that meditation, like I was sobbing, they're like, wow, what happened to you? Because some of the people were like, totally fine. Like, yeah, Creighton, do you want to share? And I was like, I have to quit my job. And they're like, what? And they're like, yeah, like I was not put on this earth. This is not my purpose to be an engineer. My purpose is to help people find love, whether in themselves or in other people. So I actually got back. It was like December 26 or something like that. And I got back and I wrote an email to my manager saying, yeah, I, we need to talk about me uh, resigning. And he's like, what? You're crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's big, right? Because when you, a lot of people have, I think a lot of people have those realizations. I think people have those moments of knowing what the next thing to do is. However, recognizing with that next thing it's uncomfortable oh yeah 100 percent. it's like but anything in life worth doing is uncomfortable Uh, i mean and this is for anyone that has kids this is a perfect example like having kids there's so much chaos there's so much unknown there's so much uncertainty but i have never ever in my life felt so much love and so much other feelings that i've had from those kids so you want certainty in all these things Go do something that's automatic. Go stay at your W-2. Go, and if you're at your W-2 and love it, that's fine. I'm jealous of those people. I know there's people at Boeing, the engineers that I work with, like they read those magazines on the weekend. They're looking up structural stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a great gig for someone that enjoyed it. Because you're getting paid a high salary. You get crazy benefits. You're doing 40 hours a week on something that you actually want to look up on the weekends. But on the weekends... I was never looking up any engineering. I was always listening to psychology, human behavior stuff. Like that was what excited me. Dude, and that right there, like that is the thing, right? Because you recognize, okay, the job isn't back. I see other people as well. They will start to find their path. And then it's almost like they now are burning the village. They just came from thinking the village was doing something horrible to them. It's like, no. Silly, you were oh, just yeah. in the wrong village. That, that's to me, if I, if I had a client or someone talking to me, like they haven't taken accountability for it because mm-hmm. they're blaming something else. And the only thing, the only person to blame is yourself. Like you haven't done enough deep work and whatever to realize that that's not the problem. You have 100% control. You just aren't walking away from that because you probably don't trust yourself or you don't know what it is you want yet. So let's go through this for a second now as well, because when you made that decision to quit and you actually started typing up that email and you sent it out, so much of your life had been based on this identity. Well, that was my identity. That was that was my identity because I, I told you when I graduated high school, I was smart. So I had a 398 GPA. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big, and I was always told, Creighton, you're smart. So I think that's another reason why engineering worked great for me and why when I was in my engineering practice, like, 
I just, who's smarter? That person, I'm that. And then that one, and then that, like, I just wanted to keep getting smarter and smarter. So I think scraping the engineering from who I identify was, was really hard. And I don't think I could have done that if I hadn't done as much deep work as I'd done to realize who I really am. And that's enough, right? Like I don't have to be labeled as smart or seen as smart. I just need to be seen as Creighton and I love people and that's all I want people to see from me. So, yeah. That's amazing. Right. Because you know, in essence, like that's, again, that's another challenge, right? Because I, I remembered I had this challenge very similarly when I used to skateboard. I was a skateboarder, right? So that's who I was. That's how I identified. That's how I saw the world. I saw the world as a big old skate park, everything mm-hmm. skate spot. And when I eventually moved on from skateboarding, I transitioned because it was no longer giving me the, the thing I was looking for. I found it really difficult that I no longer identified as a skateboarder. And I transitioned to becoming a parkour athlete. And as a parkour athlete, that became my new identity. And I rose through the ranks in that world even higher. Mm -hmm. And then it came to the point where it was no longer serving my new desires, my new vision. And I had to disassociate. However, what I found was inside that world, it was almost like that world didn't want to let me go. And it was the the proverbial golden handcuffs, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And recognizing that sometimes like the thing we're leaving, isn't bad. However, we got to trade in good for great. Yeah. So you did that really well. And it's interesting because in our world, as I remember when I first met you, you were being introduced as, you know, Creighton, the, the engineer mindset, like this guy is super good with numbers and super good Mm. political. And that's how the world was being like, the world was presenting you on this pedestal. And I want to talk about that for a second. Because I know a lot of people, especially higher achievers, they might get good at something in one area of life and the world begins to praise them or reward them for that thing. Mm -hmm. And they find it difficult to now follow after their dream again and chase after the next chapter. That transitioning from chapter to chapter, how critical it is to, to really check in with yourself and let it be okay to, I think most people don't want to let other people down. 100%. 100%. Letting it be okay to, you're not letting anyone down by having a deeper understanding of, you know, you're actually doing better for them. By- well, you're letting yourself down. Like by letting other people down, you're letting yourself down. Like that's where everything, and that's what I realized. I mean, having children, like, I mean, that just changed everything in my world that, because I was so good at self mutilation, self sacrifice that I, and I think that's why I was good at the gym and I was really good at sports is because I could endure. I could just go because of like, I didn't really appreciate and love myself that it was like, you got to do better. Like this person's doing better than you, like sacrifice yourself. Mm-hmm. So with kids, it worked really good too. that same uh, mentality of you got to be better because you can't be my whole thing was I didn't know how to be better for myself, which is like, it'll make me cry to think about it. Like, it's so sad. I didn't know how to be better for myself but I knew I wanted and needed to be better for my kids. And so that's where I was like, okay, well, I I don't know how to do it for me yet. So, and I think it's so important. Anyone starting on their journey is like find someone or something that you care about and do it for them until you find out how to do it for yourself. Wow. So that was what it was for me. It's like, okay, my daughter is similar to me. She's really, um, I, I call it like she has a lot of emotions and she fixates on stuff, has temper tantrums. 
And so I help coach her through these feelings rather than just, oh, go to your room and deal with it, which I mean, I think that's all people knew how to do back in the day. But now it's like, okay, why do you feel this way? What are these triggers? Like, what does that say about you? Anyway, um, so because of them, they allowed me to start to do work on myself until I got to the point of like, oh yeah, it's it's all, it all comes down to me and what I'm doing and showing up for myself. So that's kind of how I got into it. And I love that. And, you know, and I'm happy we're having this conversation for you because this conversation doesn't happen often. And I feel that it's people start to, turn the light onto themselves or turn their attention back onto themselves, they immediately start to get this feeling that they're being narcissistic, right? That there's something mm. negative about being in a place where you're worried about your own interest. And there's a term I learned, which is enlightened self-interest. Um, you know, and I would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, really the, I guess, like another perspective of turning inward and really focusing on the self and what benefits that can have, not just for yourself, but also for those around you, because you still have it in your heart to take care of others. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that's what I'm saying. So like by me uh, doing, so essentially at first I was doing it for them, but then by doing stuff for myself, oh my God, like it allowed me to show up as such a better version of myself. And I mean, if my wife was on here, she would attest to this 100%. Like now, uh, so I have this analogy of like, what the way I used to go around, I don't have a cup in here, but like, I used to have an empty cup of like feeling self-worth, that I'm good enough, that I'm smart, all these things. So how did I fill up my cup so that I wasn't like suicidal or crazy depressed is I went around to other people. I was essentially a beggar. Like I'd go to my wife, hey, tell me I'm good. Tell me that I'm fit. Tell me I'm this. And then I go to friends. Hey, tell me I'm smart. Tell me I'm this. I go to my colleagues like, hey, look, look what I did. I, I painted this. Like, tell me I did good job. I needed it. Like that was my currency because of my, the stories that I was telling myself. So I relied so heavily on other people to fill up my cup, which was good when they were filling it up. But what about those times that I went to my wife and I was feeling down because no one gave me praise and she wouldn't ask me how my gym session was, or she didn't say that I look good, or she didn't say that she loved me. All of a sudden, my empty cup that I was going to her to hopefully get her to fill it without telling her that I needed it, that it would just plummet. And then I was resentful towards her. But it had nothing to do towards her. It was all towards myself, but I blamed her for a lot of it. So by me learning how to fill up my own effing cup, now when I go to her and she's like, wow, you look good or you did good at the gym or like, wow, you're this and that, like it just overflows my cup. It enhances that it's not a requirement anymore. And so now in my daily life, like even people say like, wow, you're totally different. Like you are so happy and like you're so bubbly and charismatic. And that is the benefit of going internal. And I wouldn't say it's narcissistic at all. Like, I think the creator like gave us these desires, feelings, needs, all these things, because that's who we need to become. And once you become that, then you can actually radiate that out towards the rest of the world. And that's what we need to see other people to be inspired by them. Bro, so. I just like got goosebumps. Like I, I like, I felt your energy from over here. <laughs> Again, this is why like, I enjoy talking to you. And this is why 
I think more people should tap into it. I'm happy to have you here on the show on the platform because you really like that right there in and of itself gives people permission to be themselves. Right? 100%. It gives permission to individuals, not even just because you're saying the words, but also because you're living by those words and you yeah. see the profound effect that it had on you in your world, where I think a lot of people, they kind of play this game of teetering between empty cup, full cup, empty cup, full cup. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You just said to have that full cup. Now it's, we get to stack on top of that. We can now build infinitely. Instead of playing this game between zero and a hundred, we realize that hundred was actually a limiting belief that there's infinity. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially if you start in uh, now that I know how to fill up my own cup, like, and I'm not going to lie, like there's days where I'm, I'm an empty but I know what I need to do to, to fill it up. I don't have to be like, babe, can you tell me this? Can you that? It's like, no, I'll go for a run. I'll go, I'll go hug my children. I'll go play with them. I'll do something playful. Like I know what my values are. So all I got to do, it's like, to me, this is why I loved um, turning. I think my engineering mindset of like, how can I fix, how can I find patterns and all this stuff towards human behavior and psychology of like, okay, well, when I do this, this is the result. Perfect. Now I know if I'm not feeling good, I can go for a run. I can go play with my kids. Like I know there's things that turn or start to fill up my cup, so to speak. So when I have those depleted days, I can check in. Hey, Creighton, how do you feel? Oof, it's a bad day. Okay, what can we do? Oh, I know. Here's my playbook. X, Y, Z. I go do it. And then instantly I'm like, oh my gosh, that feels so much better. Let me ask you a question, right? Because I'm asking this question for the person that is, I think there is like typically a two kinds of people or three really, right? There's okay. a person that kind of achieves a little bit of like this enlightenment, right? In other words, they have an awareness of what we're talking about right now. And they absolutely agree. Then there are the people that are just like creating that sounds super crazy. Like, oh my gosh, like what are you guys even talking about? It's not that big a deal. And then there's like this in-between group where they are starting to, you know, they're like, you know, it's almost like it's gnawing at them on the inside. Like it's a little hint. It's not quite a shove, but it's more like a little tapping on the shoulder. Right. I, I want to know for like from you, because it didn't happen overnight, right? You, there was a, a slow progression into you coming towards this realization. Were there little signs along the way that you could have paid attention to because like basically when you were in Arizona and Sedona life had to, or God had to basically shove you off the edge to say like, great, are you paying attention? Yeah. Right? But were there little minor signs that were showing up beforehand before that shove that you could oh. have responded to? Oh, a hundred percent. And I think that's for anyone. I mean, that's where I go back. What are you doing on the weekend? What are you doing for free when no one else is around? No one's paying attention. What are you doing essentially for yourself? Most likely that's your purpose. That's what you really want. And here's the other cool thing, just like you were talking about, Marlon, like your purpose today can be different than next year. And I think that's so hard, especially for people like me that were analytical. It's like, I need to come up with a solution. And once it's the solution, you're done. So for me, it was like get an engineering degree. And then you're, you, you essentially are checked out for the rest of your life because that's, that was the solution. You got it. And now you just exist. And so I think so many people out there that are analytical, whatever, realize that, you know, a decision today doesn't mean that's your decision in a year from now. Like it can totally change and you want it to, because that's where the excitement and all that stuff comes from. So 
so so stay with that um i i forgot what was the actual question <laughs> well you know it's funny you have to the question though right because you you just gave you know a hint like from what i picked up oh what it, yeah like what it what part. it was the indicators so the indicators for me and looking back it was and it's so another oh it was actually so i had two virtual assistants that we were doing cold calling uh, shout out to Audrey and Jamel. Like they actually were the ones that told me I should be coaching because we would do our role plays, cold calling, uh, all that stuff. And I'd help them with sales stuff. And then I told them, Hey, you know, I want to help you guys with your goals. Like, I don't want you just to be working for me. Like, what is it that you want? Like, so we'd start to set up weekly, uh, goal setting stuff or just talk about their lives. And by me doing that for them, um, I, I forgot which one it was, but we're doing it and they were like, you're so good at this. Why is this not what you're doing? I was like, no, no one would want to pay me. I'm not good enough. Like all these limiting ideas. And they're like, no, you are. And I was like, oh yeah, maybe one day I would really like to. So that was a really good one. I think that was maybe like six months before I went to Sedona, but like, I would always call my friends. Like all my friends would be calling me for advice and like help with stuff. I was always so good at listening because I love to hear the problem and see what emotions were involved. And like, I'd look at it from not just the physical, but kind of like the metaphysical of like, what's everything that's really going on here. Um, so those were really good indicators that, you know, this is something that I was really interested and good at. And then there was multiple people that I worked with at Boeing that I got them out of Boeing. Like both of them actually were in real estate. Like one of them wanted to get an MBA. And I was like, why? And I broke it down as like real estate. So we talked about some strategies and then he's like, oh, okay. And he did everything I did, told him to do. And then he's like, okay, now what? And I'm like, you actually took a refi on your house and went and bought, I think he bought like an eight plex over in the Midwest. And I was like, you did that? He's like, yeah, you told me to. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, now you fix it up. You raise rents and then you do a refi again. And he did it again and again. And I think he actually just quit recently that he's retiring because he's making his 10,000 passive. Um, and then I had another friend that he wanted to do the same thing. And we talked about real estate and then he quit. And now he, I think he makes like six figs a month in real estate. Um, but they, they wanted it. And this is the other thing that a lot of people will come to me so no offense to anyone that comes out and says, oh, yeah, I want to do real estate and you reach out to me. I'll help you. I love coaching, but I'm going to make sure you actually want to do real estate because most likely you want the money and then you'll be like Creighton of the past. And I want to tie into this that you said, what about the people that have no idea? You said there's three types of people. Yep. And I was that second person that oh, I don't need woo woo. I don't need enlightenment. I don't need any of that. But it was like having kids. I didn't realize what was possible. So it's the same thing. I thought I knew love. I thought I loved my parents. I thought I loved myself, which was so far from it. Um, I thought all these things. But until I had kids and felt this emotion, I was like, holy cow, like this is even possible. So I think someone that's in the middle, just because you're good with the status quo doesn't mean that there's not more out there. So, man, that is freaking powerful. And this is why, like, I love and like, I, you know, recommend people to go work with you because of what you just said there as well, where it's, look, you might come to me 
telling me you want one thing for X, Y, and Z. However, I'm going to first stress test that. I mean, we're going to see if you actually, yeah. because if you really want it, you'll be able to defend my stress test. hundred percent. Someone could sway you off the path. You should be thanking them. Yeah. Because they just saved you time. And most people like, so the greatest example, I, I forgot when I came up with it, but it's like, let's say that you want to win the lottery, right? Like everyone's like, Oh, I want money. It's like, you, you really don't, but you think you do. And that's cute. So let's play the game. So this is a game that I always play with clients. It's like, okay, yeah, let's say that you won the lottery. You got all the money. What are you going to do? Well, then I'm going to buy a car. Okay. Well, what does the car signify? Oh, it's freedom. It's all this. Okay. Now you're driving your car. How do you feel? I feel free. I feel happy. It's like, that's what you want. You, the money is just a way for you to get there. But what if there is a way for us to work today for you to feel free and to feel happy? Why wait until you get this real estate portfolio or you win the lottery or whatever? What if you actually had, God forbid, some silly control in your life for you to find a way to feel happy and to feel seen, to feel appreciated, to feel loved? Whatever it is that you think this millions of dollars is going to make you feel, there's a way for you to feel that today. And that's what I focus on for everyone. Because once you feel that, that motivates you and that gives you fire to do the thing that's going to get you to the millions of dollars later. Because trust me, like doing dabbling in something just because you think you want the money, your why, your purpose, your all these things are going to dwindle out and you're not going to be able to be consistent. Dude, that is so spot on. And this is, again, what I like about your approach because I, you know, you and I speak pretty regularly. And what I like about your approach is you're not afraid to, or if even if you are afraid, you do it anyway, to say what needs to be said, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of people are sometimes afraid of, you know, coming off a certain way, but you care more about a person achieving their true result than yeah. you do about them needing to like you because you for yourself have figured out how to take care of yourself. So it's not that you want people to hate you, right? It's still nice when people like you. However, you're not concerned with that anymore. So you're truly able to speak on truth. You're able to speak on, hey, let's get to the base of this. Yeah. Which is so powerful. And I think that's what people should want and look for and desire out of a coach, out of a mentor, out of advice, out of people that they keep in their inner circle to help them with walking that path. Yeah, I think that, that that's been my discovery through all of it. I mean, obviously having money, having rentals and over three states, like, yeah, that's all surface. But what all of us want is the root and the root is always feelings. It's always an emotion like that is all we really want. So it's cool. Like to me, the superficial stuff of like the goals of the money and all that, like that's long term. But there's a present thing that is an issue. And that's what we got to start working on. And once you have that, you're going to start to get more confidence. You're going to start to build more trust. And that's going to propel you to get to these goals that you're setting so much faster but you're not relying 100% on the results of those goals to actually feel the things that you want the goals to make you feel. Like it's the craziest thing. You know what, Creighton? I gotta, I gotta say, I agree with you totally on that because even recently within my own business, I've started to get more traction, started to make more money than I've ever made before. And with that money came the, holy crap, like the, everyone always talked about it, right? But I finally got to feel it for myself. I got to experience that realization of, Wow, the money really is totally meaningless. I remember <laughs> I got the biggest check in a single day that I've ever gotten. It was a forty thousand dollar check, nice. and I was just like, "How does it make you feel? What does it solve?" It that was the thing. It didn't produce yeah. 
the feeling that I wanted. Yeah. Right? It just did not. So it was to the point of, hey, what am I doing? Am I going to keep chasing after more empty checks or would I prefer to create a deeper feeling? I yeah. And I think you can do both too. And I think some people have to do both. Like, I don't want to be that person's like, Oh, quit your job and just go live on the street. Yeah, actually I do recommend that if you're by yourself and you don't have any responsibilities and all these other people that are relying on you, but uh, it's possible that you can do a little bit of both. And that's kind of what I did. I think for the last seven, eight years is, yeah, I wasn't coaching directly, but like I was coaching people at work and helping people all over the place that that was, you know, making me better at getting into the coaching. It wasn't until later that I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm totally done and I'm committed a hundred percent, but I think that's necessary too. Like, and I know there's people that are going to be watching this like, Oh wow. If I got 40,000, that'd be life changing. Go do it. Cause, and I bet you Marlon, if I, I, we talked before, bro, we talked about this stuff before, like, dude, just go do your coaching, just go live a life. But it's like, you weren't right. You need to experience things to be like, Okay. And me in Sedona, yeah, uh, being in Sedona, doing the meditation, crying. It's like, okay, now it's time. And hey, I tell, go ahead. I was just going to say, well, I think it comes back to what you said earlier, which is, you know, checking in with yourself and doing it for your own reasons, right? Like as long as we recognize when we're chasing after something for our own personal reasons versus when we're chasing after it for an external reason, mm-hmm. like, the internal curiosity for me of like, Hey, I want to go see what it's like to make money. There's an internal curiosity for you to say, hey, I want to go see if there's magic in Sedona. Yeah. There's something I can go create and fix. However, I see people when they're chasing after something. I'm sure if I had asked you why, you know, if you and I sat down with each other and we asked each other, why are you doing this? It, there would be an answer. There would be an internal response that would be generated. For some people, I, it's like it's one of my pet peeves when I ask you, why are you doing something? And there's no answer. Mm. Right? Like it's just, wait, you're, you're taking action without a deep understanding of why. Don't you think that's a little strange? And doesn't it make sense now if there's not a why that you are lacking in the fulfillment area? Why you're lack why you're becoming successful, you're achieving, but you're not being fulfilled. Yeah. But I think that I think that's a fair assumption to say from your perspective, because you've gone through the work and you understand the value. But like back when you were like 16, 18, I mean, I don't know what your upbringing, but if someone asked you the same question, you would probably just be like, Yeah, I have no idea why. So I, I try to keep that open mind with everything. Like the way I see with feel, I try to do this with everything. Like my wife's Brazilian. So she speaks Portuguese. Like no one can be mad at me for not understanding Portuguese or all these other things. Like I just wasn't taught it. And this actually, now that I'm saying it reminds me of back when I was an engineer and people be like, wow, you're really smart. It's like, no, I just did the work. Like you could be an engineer too if you just went through the schooling, like there's really nothing different. So I look at the same thing with these feelings and this mindset and all this, like I can't discredit someone else for not being at the same place I'm at because they haven't put the work in and they haven't put the time in. And there's should, we should not be judging people for where they're at. Not saying that that's what you were doing at all, Marlon. I'm just saying it out there that we shouldn't be on these soapboxes of like, Oh, well, I figured this out. It's like, no, you only figured it out because you put in practice. And that person, if they put in the same amount of practice, they'd probably be the same place. And I have the same point of view of people that are in a really dark place or they're, no offense, they're a shitty person. If I had the same upbringing and experienced life with the turmoil and all the stuff that they went through, 
I probably would feel the exact same way that they feel right now. Like there's nothing wrong with them. They just were subject to a lot of adverse things that made them get these behaviors and start to feel certain ways. So, yeah, anyway. And you're, you're spot on. And what I love about that is that makes what we do here and like what you do a teachable skill. It makes it a hundred percent. Well, you know, something that anyone can acquire given the proper circumstance, given the proper training, given the proper guidance. Yep. Creighton, I want to be respectful of your time, man. And I want to ask you these, I, there's three questions I like to ask near the end of every show. Okay. So the first one is I'm really big into reading, man. Like I, I love reading. My nose is always in a book. Can you name for yourself at least two books that you've read that caused such deep paradigm shifts that you never quite went back to being the same? Man, that's so many. <laughs> uh, and it's funny too, because I used, and this is why I know this, you probably want short answers, but this is why I have such a hard time. Don't label or identify yourself certain things. Cause I used to identify and label myself. Oh, I don't like to read. I'm not a reader. But once I removed that and said, you know what, I'm going to try, I have a thing try and see. So that's why I was like, okay, what's something I can actually do is 10 minutes a day. And after doing 10 minutes a day for a whole month, I was like, I do enjoy reading. I guess I am a reader, but if I would have kept that same mindset, I never would have got into reading. So anyway, um, I guess if I had to go, do you want like something technical? Cause I feel like I always have two. I have a woo woos and I have technical books. But they could be any books, right? Any two books that like, you're just like, you know what? These were books that like, you know, when I read them for me personally, I just, I haven't been the same since. So I think cash flow quadrant, I don't like the rich dad, poor dad, the regular one. That was too basic. It was like, to me, that was like the people that are like, don't be happy or don't be depressed. Just be happy. It's like, cool. How? So I like cash flow quadrant because it went into the how um, on how the different types of money and all that other stuff and which one to get. Um, as far as changing my mindset, um, I think I really love Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil as well, because it was it, it turned in the devil into just floating. And so not having your definite purpose like that to me was like, I think I was st obviously still an engineer when I read that one. And I was like, F, like, what is mine? Like, who, who am I? And literally I'm wasting so much time when I'm not pursuing it. So. Dude, both of those books are actually really good. I mean, Cash Flow Quadrant is actually one of my favorite purple books from the Kiyosaki collection. Yeah. It's, it's my favorite one hundred percent from all of them. Slept on and outwitting the devil. The first time I read that book, I mean, I, I listened to the audiobook and I just remembered I had to listen yeah. to it in its entirety the first yeah. time I put it on. And I ended up re-listening to it almost like the next day immediately because it was that much of a wake-up call. Oh so yeah. Those are phenomenal books. I Thanks. Can I give one more? So I think that I I like these three because cash flow quadrant money. The second one is about paradigm shift of are you doing your purpose? And then as far as like psychology, like I would recommend anyone to read any parenting books because whether or not you're a parent, like how you approach kids is the same way you'd approach adults. <laughs> like It's a hundred percent true. I think one of my favorite uh, parenting book was um, the self-driven child, I think is what it is. 
And it's about how to keep a kid like still driven and all this other stuff. But it goes into like how to talk to them and all that. And I think that's the same way that like I try to talk to adults and deal with their validating their emotions and like bringing it to the surface instead of just telling them to change. So let me ask you this. Now, the second question I have here for you is you're constantly improving, right? You're always every day looking to make yourself a little bit better um, in any and every direction within the last three months, what would you say, or it could be even a year, but like, what would you say has been one of the more recent, you know, uh, moments of enlightenment for you or one of the most recent lessons that come to your mind right now as I ask this I think so I'm that's actually a good question so since I started to do these level ups like do I would challenge anyone I think that it's a great way to actually live your life with actual feelings and have struggles and setbacks which is all just the beauty of life by challenge yourself to do hard things and I, I read um who's the guy uh, Goggins. I knew it was going to be David Goggins. Yeah. So I, I, we can have a whole nother podcast just talking about Goggins. Uh, I, I'm, I'm for him and I'm against him because there, I agree in self mutilation to get stuff, but then there's a course and then, you know, you not just doing it to yourself, but you have to show up to other people as well. Anyway. Uh, but by doing hard stuff, a hundred percent doing these challenges every single month of trying to get better, trying to improve, try to be uncomfortable makes uh, other things so much easier. So for example, I obviously have my issues of, you know, not feeling good enough, not feeling um, that uh, I need to compete with people, all these things. So I actually called my dad the other day, like maybe, maybe it was like two weeks ago to have that conversation with him, telling him, you know, I felt like, you didn't value me. I felt like that, you know, I wasn't good enough that I had to compete with all my siblings and uh, that I, whatever I do is not enough. And to, before having that conversation, obviously I'm 38 now. So that conversation before would have been like a 10 out of 10 on difficulty, but because I've been doing all these level ups, I've been starting to run like, you know, five to seven miles a day that when I, right before I was making that phone call, like it was a four out of 10. Like it didn't define who I was as much anymore, but because I was so used to doing all these uncomfortable things, it made that conversation so much easier. And yeah, it didn't turn out the way I wanted in the end, but I showed up the way that I wanted to. So anyway, I think that's the benefit. Yeah. I mean, I love that. It's funny that you even say a phone call to your dad, because earlier today I had a, a phone call that I did not want to make. And I reminded myself that, you know, the difference between successful people and unsuccessful people is successful people make it a habit of doing the things that unsuccessful people won't do. Yeah. Can I, can I add on to that? Is that okay? Get out, get rid of other people. It's your life. So Marlon does hard things. Marlon is successful. Like bring yourself to the present, the future Marlon and what he does and embody that. I, w- I would get away because I I only say that because of myself and always comparing and competing with everyone else that once I took away that layer of as about other other people. No, it's not because it's always going to be about other people. I wanted to keep it with me. So I love that, bro. So my final question for you here is and this is one of my favorite questions. I want you to imagine great in tomorrow that you are waking up brand new, waking up fresh. And as you're 
opening your eyes and you're coming to consciousness, you start to realize you don't remember anything. You are just a total blank slate. Memories are totally wiped. You don't remember the time living in your car. You don't remember trying to go into engineering. You don't remember Sedona. You don't remember the kids. You don't remember your wife. Now you're not freaking out. It's not a scary movie. It's not a saw film, right? You just are blank. And immediately a thought starts to come to you. And when this thought comes to you, you accept it totally as truth. There is no wavering in the belief. There's no questioning of it. This thought now begins the rest of everything else to come that's going to follow after it. What would you ideally prefer that thought to be? You're good enough. 100%. Doesn't matter how many times you fail, what you fail at, you're always good enough. Without a doubt. Man, I like that. I like that answer because that answer, I can see how that answer would allow you to rebuild and not even just rebuild. It would just allow you to live. Yeah. Let you do whatever. It would give you permission and the confidence to do whatever and to remember who you truly are. Yeah. Just try everything out and see what happens. Realize that you have no control in the results, but you have control in the action that you take today. That's powerful. So Creighton, let me ask you this now for the people that have been listening and they're just like, yo, I freaking love this dude Creighton. His mindset is next level. <laughs> work with him. I want to connect with him. How can people get in contact with you? Where should they go? Yeah, you can uh, hit me up on Instagram. It's at Creighton underscore Bertrand. Uh, or you can email me Creighton at creatingchange.life. That's dot life, not dot com. And uh, we can jump into there or find me on Facebook. Um, but yeah, just reach out and I'd be happy to, to help out any way I can, man. Life's, life's too amazing to be suffering. That's for sure. I love that. And I'm going to make sure that guys, if you're listening, all of his info will be in the description below. So you can just scroll down one click, connect with Creighton, especially if I, I gotta say this, right? Oftentimes we find people that we start to resonate for some reason or another they are able, their words penetrate into our skulls. They make us feel a different way. If someone makes you feel a certain mm -hmm. way, that's a sign to go and connect with them, go further with them. So whenever I look for mentors, whenever I look for coaches, whenever I look for teachers, I'm not necessarily looking for the person who just has the information because if they have the information, but they can't get me to take action, they can't get me to feel something about it. That's not the right person for me. So if as you're listening to this, you're resonating with Creighton, you're getting that feeling, I would say follow that feeling. Reach out. I've followed that feeling with many people in my life, and it has led me to some very amazing places. So I would really recommend if you're listening to Creighton, there's a reason I brought him on here. There's a reason I still have a friendship with him. There's a reason I connect with him on the regular. He is an amazing individual. So Creighton, I want to say thank you so much for coming on here, for giving me your time, for giving my audience. Dude, I love it. And Anytime, man. You bro, came on ours. Uh, check out uh, ours as well, because Marlon was was on. But we got to do more. Like, I could talk about this stuff all day. So I'm bro, so excited to have uh, have you on or have me on there. Dude, I love it. So everybody, if, remember the thing. If you like this episode, if you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, and share it with somebody else. If something resonated, what I really want to see you do is I really want to see you screenshot this podcast and tag myself at Mindset Marlin, tag Creighton on IG. I'm going to have his IG handle below. 
and tell us what your biggest takeaway was. I really want to hear because today's episode was dropped with a lot of gems, a lot of jewels. So make sure we're sharing this. We're passing it forward. And we'll see you guys for the next episode. Can I do one? If anyone does do a like and sends it over to Marlon, he'll let me know. We'll reach out to you. I'll do a a 30-minute session. Woo, guys, he will do a 30-minute session with you for free. And I'm just telling you, Creighton is worth every penny. I I straight up, I again, he's one of the people that I plug into. Like, if you like my mindset, if you like the way I conduct myself and the way I do things, Creighton is actually your Creighton. I don't think I gave you credit. Let me give you some credit real quick. You're one of the main influences in me actually getting my ish together and chasing <laughs> because I, me doing real estate, people think like that's my dream. And mm-hmm. now people are starting to realize it's not. I just learned a skill set. I learned a vehicle that I it serves a purpose. However, my true passion is coaching people, is working with people. And you're the one, you're one of the main and loudest voices that got me to snap out of it. And really, you confronted me. You made me confront myself on, <laughs> dude, what do you actually want? So yeah. let me just say thank you for that because I am absolutely loving my dream and I'm loving the fact that I'm able to go out and do what I'm passionate about because of you, bro. Bro, I'm happy that that worked out. That's literally the, the joy of life is to let other people live the life that they want. Dude. So you guys are going to definitely be seeing Creighton back on this show. And make sure you reach out to him, plug in, and take him up on that offer. Get that 30 minutes before it runs out. So I will see you guys for the next episode of Creighton. Again, thank you so much for coming on, bro. You bet, brother. Appreciate you.